0: Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast, all bow hunting, all the time. Now here's your host, editor Christian Berg.
1: All right, welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast, all bow hunting, all the time. And today is going to be a great episode for all you who are listening, who are DIYers, public land bowhunters, and whitetail fanatics because we have got a great guest for you. We've got Steve Shirk, who's the owner of Shirk's Guide Service, and he actually uh, specializes in public land whitetail hunts in Pennsylvania. If you're waiting for a punchline when I say that, there is none. He's dead serious. So this is going to be a great conversation. And I also have here with us uh, Mr. John Silk's our, our gear editor, and uh, actually the guy who who gave me the idea for this episode because he knows Steve. So, gentlemen, welcome to the podcast today.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: So, John, I'm going to, you know, almost be like a second guest for you today. I told you I'd let you direct this because when you told me about Steve and you said, hey, I got this buddy who specializes in, in public land, whitetail hunts in Pennsylvania, I I all but laughed in your face and I said, nobody is paying money and traveling <laughs> from some other state to Pennsylvania to hunt whitetails on public land. And you said, oh, yes, they are. And it piqued my curiosity. I'm sure it's peaking the curiosity. Of many people. I'm sure we have listeners who are fellow Pennsylvanians like we are, who are like, um, I'm typically going to Illinois or Kansas or Oklahoma or even Maryland, you know, uh, Delaware, anywhere but Pennsylvania. And then, of course, we have folks from all over the rest of the country who don't typically think of the keystone state when it comes to big buck meccas around the country so with that john uh, i'll throw it over to you uh you can sort of set the stage and, and start to ask steve about how he got started with all this
0: yep yeah no problem so yes uh i want to also say thanks for joining steve really appreciate it um i think i explained to you and christian probably knows a little bit about this but um one of my bucket lists has always been that i wanted to kill a pope and young buck on public land in pennsylvania um the only problem is is i stopped hunting public land like a long time ago so that wasn't going to happen unless i started to actually get into it so this year i decided to really start looking into public land uh um hunting here in pennsylvania and and how i could maybe uh fulfill that uh, dream and bucket list and several times with uh, you know local folks here that I talked to about hunting a lot, um, I kept kept hearing his name, Steve Shirk, Steve Shirk, Steve Shirk, and I'm like, <laughs> who's Steve Shirk? And so uh, so then I got uh, you know got a little bit of introduction to you through that. Um, my son even said, yeah, you know he's on uh, Instagram, and I'm not a real big social media guy. You know I do a little bit on Facebook and stuff. But he's like, yeah, you know, here, look at this, dad, look at these bucks. And I'm like, well, where are they from? And he said, Pennsylvania. I said, that's amazing. So, um, so I reached out to Steve and I actually want to spend some time with Steve outside of this podcast as well. But Steve, uh, you know, I, I, Christian gave a little bit of an introduction, but I'm hoping that you can, you know, maybe introduce yourself, uh, tell the listeners who you are, where you're from, generally, (laughs) you have to be too um and then a high level description of what your business is and we'll get into some more details later yeah well I'll just kind of give you an idea of you know how I got
2: started uh it's one of those things in life like I never thought I'd be doing this this wasn't a plan of mine um it's something really cool and I think it was just something that uh I didn't think was possible but how it kind of happened was I uh was uh doing some writing for a magazine called northwestern Pennsylvania outdoors and uh, they wanted me to actually do a grouse hunting article about up here in northern Pennsylvania this was back when I was 18 I'm 36 now but uh, back then it was this premier grouse hunting area is anywhere in the country honestly so I wrote that article about grouse hunting up here and I'm not even much of a grouse hunter but since deer and grouse kind of share a lot of the same habitat just I knew a lot about grouse and the areas that you know that they liked so I wrote that article and it it must have been a couple weeks after it got released I just got flooded with emails and phone calls for guys wanting to come grouse hunting here so I became all of a sudden grouse guide Uh, and uh, I mean that was a lot of fun it was really cool and exciting but As I started doing it for a couple of years, I'm like, no, I'm not even a super passionate grouse hunter. If I'm gonna guide, I'd like to do what I'm most passionate about is whitetails. So, you know, a couple of years into it, I started guiding whitetails. And uh, honestly, it was one of the biggest challenges of my life as far as getting people to come to public land, Pennsylvania. Uh, I actually, the first couple of years, took a few people out for free uh just trying to get something started and uh it uh it, you know it was, it was a slow start but you know here i am literally you know like i said i've probably been doing this since i was you know 20 21 years old so roughly 15 years later and uh yeah you know i the past three or four years i've i've actually been fully i book out in like a month or so so it's uh it's gone from a huge challenge to finally. Having some success, and you know I'm just super happy, and the good
0: Lord's definitely blessed me, yeah, very good. I always tell people you know if you can find a a Pennsylvania hunter that can be successful in public land, you found one of the best hunters in the nation i mean huh. it's it's not it, yeah as you know very well, Christian knows now too I mean uh shooting a public land uh you know a good mature buck one. Public land in Pennsylvania is extremely difficult. Now, of course, everything can come together and line up, and it just happens. But uh, you know, and every once in a while, you'll see this uh, new hunter who goes and plops down out in the middle of the woods and gets lucky. But to do it consistently, that's that's a, in my opinion, that's that's as good of a hunter as you'll find, because you gotta you gotta know what you're doing. So, did you grow up around hunting? Yep, I grew up uh, you know, in a huge hunting
2: family. You know, we had the traditional hunting camp, which is still going today. Uh in fact, just being surrounded by such passionate hunters in my family, I probably wouldn't be who I am today. It just it really sparked so much interest and excitement at a young age. I my first time deer hunting, I must have been six or seven years old, obviously not carrying a weapon, but just tagging along with my dad and it's yeah. just, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, we all have things that we were just, it was kind of like born into our blood. And I feel like deer hunting has been that, And but, but growing up into that, uh, you know, that atmosphere and a, you know, a strong tradition like that had a big effect on
0: who I am today as a deer hunter. Absolutely. I, I completely get that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 54 now. <laughs> uh, and I grew up, uh, you know, my, I, I, when I think about, you know, my beginning in hunting, it was all about, you know, going to my paps that, you know, the morning before the first day and he's, you know, cooking up bacon, you know, you smell like in <laughs> <bacon> and eggs. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
0: yeah. And that was just like, that That was hunting, right? And, uh, you know, you go out and all decked out in your orange and go sit somewhere out in the middle of the woods and, uh, okay. yeah such good memories right and i mean pennsylvania is so just deep with tradition around you know deer hunting it's it's you know it just runs deep in so many uh so many families and just the yeah. state in general
1: yeah and uh, along those lines i gotta jump in john to piggyback on that because you know there's a great heritage of deer hunting in pennsylvania but for a lot of that history you know like you mentioned your grandfather for a lot of that generation and even you know our parents generation when they were getting started our heritage had to do a lot with high deer numbers, but not a lot of real deer quality, and I'm sitting here looking at Steve with all those mounts behind him, and I'm like, man, did you kill all those whitetails on public land in Pennsylvania? And, and you know, I don't want to jump the gun, because I'm sure we'll get into it, but people, I mean, you got to tell me right now, people are wondering, like, okay, this guy's guiding on public land in PA, but how much Quality can I actually expect to see how big are these deer? Tell me about some of the the you know the scores or you know the the age on some of these deer that you're chasing here in Pennsylvania
2: sure. yeah um actually i've never killed a deer on private land in my life uh I was just born into an area that you know if it's just public land is what it is you there's not even much private land here anyway so uh uh just you know, I talked about the being brought into a tradition. That's what my, you know, my, my grandfather, uncles, cousins, like that's what, that's been the way just hunting public land. Uh, all the deer on my wall, other than two or three are all Pennsylvania deer, Uh, two or three are public land, New York. Um, which is our camp is only a couple miles from New York. So actually some of the deer that we've, find in pennsylvania by our camp actually live in both states because we're so close to the border um but you know we being big woods public land i mean yeah you get the occasional 160 170 180 but a a really good deer here is 120 140 inch deer and that's a deer that i'm not going to pass up uh, for me and especially a lot of guys it's it's more about getting a mature deer so much than the score especially in big woods like in public land if you can kill a four or five six year old deer in this in this scenario that's you know being highly pressured extremely intelligent and has learned a lot over the years like you know just killing a deer of that age class uh is a huge accomplishment so i think we focus you know more on that than the actual score but i mean the bigger the better too for me i love big antlers and you can see i've been fortunate to get a few nice ones here so uh it's definitely, uh, we definitely have a product here that a lot of people will be looking for.
1: And are are there more of those bigger deer now than there were when you were a kid, do you think?
2: Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's completely different. Like when I even, you know, like I said, I brought up when I was, you know, six, seven years old hunting with my dad. Back then, it was all about seeing a lot of deer and there was no, uh, there really wasn't any, standards as far as antlers like maybe a lot of guys wouldn't shoot a spike but if it had a fork it was like holy cow you know that's a shooter but you might see 40 50 60 deer in a day and right. a lot of times honestly out of all those deer you wouldn't even see any antlers no. um but then, you know i give huge credit to gary Alt. Uh, as soon as he introduces his plan his i mean i know a lot of hunters uh maybe you're still in disagreement with it but uh it definitely changed the whole deer hunting, at least up in my area. We have a lot less deer now, but we have tremendous quality. Uh You know, it's just even even a, a lot of two and three-year-old deer, are way more healthier now, uh bigger bodied and already starting to show better antlers than, you know, what, what you used to see back there and basically before the
0: 2000s came in. Yeah, I, I remember looking at my pap's wall, you know, just a typical... Pennsylvania hunter, and he would have like a a whole wall full of racks. And, you know, there's a lot of tons of basket rack eights. And then there was a, you know, like one or two that were like just a bit bigger, you know, kind of like, holy cow, that's giant. Back then, I thought they were giant. They they maybe were like 105 inches, you know? But I was like, holy cow, like I would love to see a buck that big you know, because you just didn't, you know, and I think the, I think the term brown, it, it, if it's brown, it's down. I think it originated in some camp in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I believe I <it. laughs> You know, yeah. that's just the way things were. But, um, yeah, when Alt did that, you know, made those changes, we have, there's a local paper that, um, always does like the, you know, just sort of, uh, pictures of all the you know bucks that people you know bring in and and show off and stuff and you can see from you know years before all till years after all it is there's just you it's all you need is that paper to show what he's done because it's amazing the difference absolutely and it
2: also um right or wrong uh it pushed a lot of hunters away especially you know some of your older guys that. We're just so set in their ways, hunting the same stand every year, just all about seeing a lot of deer and, you know, that kind of situation. Now it's more of a, uh, it's more of a hunter's game now. You got to put a lot more work into it. But if you're really passionate about that kind of hunting, I mean, it's so much more rewarding when you have that kind of mindset. So, uh, like I said, I, uh, I'm not in any disagreement with how Pennsylvania has changed. Uh I know we got a lot less deer up here than what we used to but I mean I, I'll take big deer
0: over seeing a lot of deer any day so uh I uh, I couldn't be happier with what we have. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm right there with you. I I love the change. I love the fact that you know I can I can go out and and just know that there's potential there. Exactly. If I get, if I get one or not, you know, that's that's another matter, but just to know that the potential is there just I don't know it changes how I feel when I'm hunting absolutely gets you
1: out of bed in the morning when you know that there's a good (laughs) buck to hunt you know what I mean now I, I want to get into some of the tactics that you use for hunting these deer because I'm sure it's different than what I would do in farm country where I more typically hunt but before we dive into that I wanted to kind of set the stage public land in pennsylvania there is an awful lot of it and so as you guys were talking i was like man one thing that steve doesn't have to deal with you're that you're ev- you're blowing
0: up my my schedule here you're, you're getting oh, too of- bad
1: too bad <laughs> you know if he if steve was out in illinois or kansas or missouri he'd be competing against a whole bunch of other outfitters to lease up these little farms you know 200 acres here, 100 acres there, 300 acres there, and he'd be paying big money to do that. And here in Pennsylvania, I bet you you don't have much competition from other outfitters because there's probably not a ton. And I actually Googled it, John. So if anyone's blowing up your schedule, it's Google, because I knew we had like 2 million acres just of state game lands. But then it says there's another 2.2 million acres of state forest, and then there's a half a million acres of national forest, which the Allegheny National Forest is a lot of, and then another almost 300,000 acres of state parks. So you add it all up. I mean, I think we're over 5 million acres of public land around Pennsylvania. So you don't have to worry about finding somewhere to stick a tree stand, do you, Steve?
2: Oh, absolutely not. And actually, there's even way more public land than what you're going to find in your little search there. Uh, there's tons of public land that's owned by like timber companies and oil and gas companies that, you know, they, they don't want a lot of deer as it is, especially the, the timber companies, because, you know, obviously deer are one of their huge enemies when it comes to, you know, forest management. So, uh, there's even hundreds of thousands, of acres of those areas. Uh, we're just definitely truly blessed in Pennsylvania to, uh, to be able to have so many options and so much room to roam that um, it uh, it's just for a public land uh, do-it-yourself hunter. I don't know if there is a place much better than this anywhere in the country. Well, jump in there, John. You want to get back on schedule? Uh, uh, I'm just waiting. I thought you had asked a different like a, well.
1: Well, different. I mean, I'm curious. Obviously, it's big woods. You have a lot of unbroken timber, Steve. And yeah. You know, not a lot of edge. When I think of hunting whitetails, again, like I live in Schuylkill County, it's a a mix of of mining, ag, and just forest. And so there's a lot of edge. You have edge between ag fields and forests, edge between mined areas and fields, thicker brushy areas, you know, of reclaimed mine land. And, And deer love those edges. When you get up into places where there's thousands upon thousands of contiguous acres of forest you know, your strategies and tactics are going to be probably a little bit different than mine. And I always find it a bit overwhelming, personally, you know, to go to an area like an Allegheny National Forest. You're on this big mountain, and there's 20 trails along that ridge that run over the mountain. How do I figure out which trail the buck is coming over today versus tomorrow? Because they all look kind of the same to me.
0: So yeah, so back that up a little bit, and what uh how i was going to bring into this was um you know some people are starting you know from scratch right i mean hunting public land has become a lot more popular uh just in recent years uh and honestly even for me like i said you know i haven't been hunting public land for i mean i I grew up hunting public land but then i got away from that and um but i'm just getting back to it and like christian said that you know just jumping into it for me or anybody else that's just like saying hey I want to give this a try and you look at those 5 million acres how do you even find a like like how do you <laughs> that, where do you start right i mean i know that uh you know you've run huge trail camera uh uh you know studies and and all that but you know are you a uh, boots on the ground uh, you know google maps uh You know, how do you how do you even get started to find the place um, that that that's, you know, worth looking into? Because I know some just getting away from people isn't always the answer, because there's some places in Pennsylvania that the genetics just aren't there. And you could search all you want and you're going to find, you know, just your typical average small buck. Now, yeah. You know, and
2: unfortunately I think a lot of people are probably more into like uh Google Maps, like you said, and you know, finding their starting points, you know, from the satellites. But I've kind of had to learn to to evolve in a different kind of style because the way I look at it is being hunting such highly pressured land and a lot of competition from other hunters. If if we're all like focusing on clear cuts and, you know terrain features, I the more I do that, the more hunters I run into. So I've, I've definitely become more of a boots on the ground type of uh, hunter and scouter. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just one of those things too. or being born here and living, I literally live right in the heart of where I hunt, I can, I can uh, go out my door and be in a good hunting area right at my house and my camp. But uh, it's really just been getting to know areas better and better throughout the years,
0: you know, having a lot
2: of different options. Um, I would say if you, you know, cause you're probably a lot of your listeners aren't going to be in my situation and they're hoping to hear something like, okay, I'm, I want to start hunting public land, but how do I find like a starting point? There's probably two keys that I would say are most important is try to predict, uh, easy access and highly pressured areas like i always have said that it doesn't matter what kind of attractants you use uh it doesn't matter uh uh, what food sources are there or anything like that hunting pressure and uh especially talking about mature bucks his security at all times is number one on his mind like he's always gonna make all his decisions based on where hunting pressure and threats to his life are so you know, I try to avoid a lot of easy access or uh, areas that with a lot of different roads and that, you know, that are more attractive to hunters. Uh, you want to try to be a little bit different and find, just find areas that are you know, more difficult to get to. I think that's a huge key. But if you are going to look on maps, I would say focus on areas that show like good diversity of habitat. Um, you don't want to just hunt like plain hardwoods or. I like to have areas that maybe have a little bit of clear cut uh, that have terrain features, a lot of ridges, points, good water sources. Like you want to find some good diversity because deer are, you know, like say you have a good acorn year and everyone thinks, well, the deer are just eating acorns. Well, they're never just eating acorns. They're mainly just browsers. They always like to have many items on their buffet and, have a good variety of of different things where they live so i would say focus on areas that that look like they have you know good good diverse habitat and uh, definitely try to avoid areas that seem likely to get a lot of hunting pressure
0: okay so do you um like you know you mentioned terrain features uh you know, I mean, do you look at uh, do you find that draws that lead down to water, um, you know, uh, are, are good areas? And if so, do they, you know, do deer bed on the points and travel at the, you know, at the top of the draws? And you know, I mean, there's there's a you know million and one you know things out there to tell you how to look at features and how deer travel and all that kind of stuff. I mean, when you go out and you put your cameras, which again, I'll mention, I'm pretty sure I heard that you did like, you know, some pretty, some pretty interesting studies with your cameras. I mean, do you, you just put it on a trail? Do you put it at the top of, you know, do you pick where you think a buck might go versus where a doe might go? Um, And do you put out anything, like, I know you don't really, you're not big into attractants, but do you do like, you know, like, I know one of the big things is putting out, um, mock scrapes, which really it's more about the licking branch than the scrape itself. Do you put up, you know, uh licking branches, uh, you know, and that kind of thing to sort of, you know, to concentrate your camera on, or how do you choose what you do? Yep.
2: Uh well first, because I think we got a couple different questions in that conversation. Um I'm focusing mainly in the the upper part of the mountains. I'm hunting all mountainous terrain. Uh 95% of your bedding is going to be up high and dough bucket doesn't matter. So that really helps to eliminate a lot of area when you, know, you got all these ridges and valleys, but then you can kind of eliminate all that lower ground and focus on, you know, on the higher ground. I think that's a big key. And, uh, these big tracts of public land is it's, it's actually easier to start eliminating areas than to to pinpoint, it seems like once you start eliminating a lot of stuff, then you're like, okay, now I've got a lot less options here, but those are good key options you start to find. So I focus on that higher terrain where the deer are in the daytime. And then uh, as far as, you know, camera placement, and you know, picking picking stand sites, you know, all that, yes, is pretty much based on what I'm seeing on my cameras. Um, mostly all my cameras are on mock straights. Or or natural scrape. Natural scrape can be just as good. Like sure. especially for scrapes, that just get hit year after year, and you kind of just can rely on them. Um, I like to hunt like uh, you know, if I find good thick cover, and not always like a clear cut, but like good patches of beach brush. Uh, probably fifty percent of of the time, I'm on what they call like a leeward side. Like most of our predominant winds are. Or south and westernly, so I kind of factor that in to you know focus on some of those those leeward side ridges and mountaintops. Uh, I love to hunt and you know, set up in areas that have had a good have a good high stem count, especially uh we haven't had a good acorn crop in a couple of years, so I find that even around like bedding. Uh, deer they're, they're eating all day it's especially you know it's not so much here like a bed to feed pattern like some of the most eating and feeding sign you'll find is in some of these bedding areas and uh you know so lately i've focused on you know good regrowth high stem count areas you know upper parts of the mountains uh and uh, you also got to base it on the sign you're seeing too
0: did you say high step or stem them count
2: like you know good understory a lot of browse you know,
0: gotcha. that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like just coming from you know out of the blue and looking at this you know I, I, I really kind of um started to focus on the the mock scrapes licking branches so what's uh what's the anatomy of how you set that up let's say you're going out in the woods and you're like hey I really like this spot how do yeah. you actually go about doing that like what's your process?
2: Yeah. Well, most of my mock scrapes are made in the spring and early summer, even sometimes late winter. Uh, I find that the longer you can give that scrape to get established, uh, the better the results you have you know, literally into the upcoming season. <clears throat> it's like, uh, you know, I think it's overlooked on how much like, uh, all deer, not just mature bucks, but like they see something in their house and, uh, they they'll remember it forever like uh you might have a buck just pass through an area you know through maybe the early spring he finds your mock scrape and even if he doesn't show up all throughout the spring and summer what next fall he will remember that so the longer you can give that scrape time to to for a deer to find it the better plus they you know it's still it's something new to their area and it not every deer will pick up on that like like is if that scrape has been there for five or 10 years uh it's a new thing and the deer sometimes have to get comfortable with it so giving those scrapes a lot of time definitely uh has been a a huge uh factor towards my success with mock scrapes um also i love to use what they call beach limbs uh which is you know beach trees beach brush the reason why i like uh uh, beach limbs for my licking branches. They will hold their leaves for like up to a year, and I've found that leaves on your licking branch are like an added attraction. I think uh, uh, the deer they like to nibble on them a little bit more. I think the leaf can hold scent a little bit better. And like you try pulling on a, a beach leaf, like it's like uh, it basically feels like it's glued to the limb. They're very very uh, durable. Uh, they, like I said, the leaves will hold on there for like up to a year. And it's just, they're way more attractive. Uh, when, when you, you know, you have some leaf color on it. Uh, I've done studies where I've had just, just a plain stick or limb hanging down right next to a beach limb and they'll hit that beach limb, uh, almost 90% of the time. And, and oak works really well too. There might be areas where hunters don't have beach, but you want to, you want to use a limb that the, that will hold the leaf for a long time uh, after
0: you've cut it. So are you hanging that so that is there a, you know, sort of like a, a bear stick at some point, or is the, all the leaves downward? How do you, like, how yeah. do you that around? Um,
2: I try to mimic, uh, like, a real active scrape most of the time will have a vertical licking branch because it gets used so much that, it's it kind of breaks somewhat you know bends over uh so that deer are especially looking for that you know all the time um and uh so that that vertical branch uh once again is like uh oh okay the deer see that and okay we got we got a scrape to, to to check out but i try to keep more of the leaves down lower on the licking branch versus up high and there's really no big need for that except for the fact that if you have a lot of leaves on on the branch you can't always see a buck's antlers good on camera uh <laughs> so so i find that if i keep the leaves down low uh his antlers aren't all you know blended in with the leaves other than that though it really doesn't matter uh you can do it the other way uh but you uh as long as you have a little cluster of leaves on that branch that's really all that you need yeah and and also uh you know you you brought it up. I'm not going to say that scents don't work but I just believe that you know especially in public land uh, uh I think some of these bucks are extremely smart and weary that I don't like once I've created a scrape I really like to just stay away from it. I mean I might have a camera you know 10 15 feet away but I don't like to you know be putting scent on that that might not be quite what a buck, you know, is used to, and and also you once you get these mock scrapes going enough, the deer are hitting them so regularly that they're constantly putting their own scent on there, and I mean, what more could you ask for than deer putting their own natural scent on it? So uh, I think it's you know that's the thing about you know in all industries, but especially this hunting industry is you watch enough tv and read a lot and you can get sold on something pretty easily and there's probably more gimmicks out there than than what we really need to be be you know buying into once again i'm not saying scent doesn't work but if you got deer hitting that scrape almost every day why not just stay back and let the deer do the work
0: yeah absolutely so i i made my first uh vine branch uh licking branch here Not too long ago, matter of fact, Christian and I were getting ready to leave that day, and uh, I pulled my hamstring coming out of the. So, Christian had to to baby me all the way to fricking Montana, and the poor guide had to deal with me. But I was I was riding an e-bike back in, and when I was coming out, I I stepped off of it wrong and just blew my hamstring. Just a dumb move. But (laughs) anyway, the point is, is that it was hard for me setting up that licking branch to not put scent on it, because naturally I'm thinking, why would they come to this thing without it? But I just went and got my camera yesterday, my card, and within, well, there were deer going all around it and looking at it for the first day. And the second day, a doe you know, stuck her nose right up there and started rubbing her head on it. And then a buck came in and did the same thing. And I was like, "It works. You don't need to put scent on it because they just come to it for whatever reason. They they see that vertical line, and like you said, now I'm so glad I didn't put any scent on it because all the scent on it just yeah, John. uh, I think John froze
1: up.
2: Are you seeing him, Steve? I lost him for a little bit. I was worried it was. I'm glad. uh, I'm glad I'm at least hanging in there.
1: Yeah, well, I guess it's just you and me until John gets his connection figured out. So, uh, man, as, as, so uh, out of all these cameras and all these scrapes, and I don't think you actually put a number on it. So I'm curious, how many cameras, how many mock scrapes are you running during
2: the Uh, spring or summer? around, Around 150. It will, it will give and take. Like sometimes I might have close to 170. And then sometimes I'm pulling a lot of them, moving them around where, you know it might drop into the 130 so i always say usually around 150 cameras uh and it's in about a hundred thousand acre patch of land uh i kind of cluster them and you know some like key areas it's not like they're all spread out in a line uh through that hundred thousand acres uh and uh I, it's, I don't know if you know but some of the studies i do are you know based on like movement and weather and temperature and those kind of factors I, I not only use these for hunting purposes to gather like intel for the season but uh this massive amount of trail cameras that i'm using uh i've learned over the years so, there was so much data and information that i wasn't really paying attention to and just kind of throwing away and uh so now you know the past four or five years i've really gotten into it uh, recording data and movements and things like that and it's definitely taught me a tremendous amount you know about deer movement
1: okay so that's very very interesting so <clears throat> you. are you basically taking all of these images and charting times temperatures wind directions Um, moon phases or positions? What what are the key metrics that you're looking at? And then, you know, I don't think we have time to go into everything you've learned by any means, right? That could be a whole nother show in itself. But what are some of the
2: trends that you've identified in looking at that data? Yeah. Well, after the first few years of doing it, like the first few years, I was keeping track of all kinds of stuff. But it became pretty evident that I was finding that temperature was the biggest key to movement. Uh and my study only goes from October 1st to December 10th. Basically, all I'm interested in is movement during the Pennsylvania hunting seasons. So basically, uh I'll go from all of archery to the end of gun season. Um, but some of the the biggest keys that I found, and, and you know, it might not be that uh uh, unexpected, to, but, uh, cold fronts, definitely, uh, especially those mid to late October cold fronts, uh, tremendous movement that whatever you got to do, like to get out of work or, you know, whatever, don't try not to make, make plans other than being in the deer woods during those October cold fronts. Um, also like a couple of key things that we found, uh, are, hunting pressure, like when uh, bear season comes in in Pennsylvania, uh, our, our movement just drops dramatically. It doesn't matter whether nothing matters then, uh, over the past, probably five to 10 years, we're getting more bear hunters up here than we are deer hunters. It's really becoming, becoming a huge thing. And, uh, it just seems like all those hunters in the woods just shuts down the movement tremendously. Um, and the same, even with our gun season, uh, a huge decrease in movement where uh, years ago, it just seemed to be a little bit different until uh, more per se of, of the bear situation. Like when we didn't have a lot of this bear pressure, uh, we used to see a lot more rutting activity in bear season, uh, but it's, you know, a lot of it's changes based on hunting pressure. So the, the temperature and hunting pressure seem to be the biggest
0: keys, what I'm finding to deer movement in this area are they getting are the bear hunters getting all the way back into your most remote areas are those bucks affected as well absolutely yep there's bear hunters all over the place uh
2: and also like uh bear and deer once again share a lot of the same habitat like one of the biggest uh strategies for bear hunting is you know pushing clear cuts and thickets, and the deer love those areas too so once they start doing those drives in those areas uh, and it just seems like you know those deer go completely nocturnal and that's something I don't I want to make sure I touched on this right that I'm only keeping track of daytime movement uh I get always get way more nighttime movement no it doesn't matter the time of year you're always going to get usually more nighttime movement than daytime movement that's just how deer are in general especially on public land but I only keep track of daytime movement and uh it's just amazing once bear season comes in it's just like a light switch those deer, even though they're not being hunted, they really can't tell that they're they're just noticing all the the human activity and uh it just seems like uh it's had a huge effect on our gun season because uh it's the those deer are just so nocturnal to hunt once
0: gun season comes have you have you noticed any difference in so for instance like you know the bigger bucks are you finding them up high in the rocks versus you know other places or i mean are there are there terrain features that you notice more activity or more bucks or anything like that from not so much terrain features but cover is
2: king uh they if you have thick cover in any area uh you gotta you gotta focus on that cover they uh they are so, so attracted and so, uh, it covers so much of a need in, in, in their lives that uh, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to really hunt those deer, except maybe outside of when, uh, you know, you get into that early November period when they're just so rutted up and you might even see them in someone's backyard cruising or something. But other than like that one little week of the rut, they're really focused on, you know, staying in cover. Uh, like I said, remote, non-pressured areas are still always going to be really good. Uh, but I don't I don't really focus on terrain features until I find cover or sign or I'm getting good pictures in an area. Then I might use the terrain to narrow things down a little bit more to try to funnel that movement a little bit better. But, uh, you know, a lot of hunters ask me that question all the time. And it seems like, so many are looking for terrain features as a starting point, but it, it does not seem to work for me. I You, you got to focus on good habitat and okay. not plan getting away from the pressure.
0: Well, that, that's actually, that's, that's very, very helpful because, you know, it seems like terrain features are, you know, the, the you know, you can identify them, right? So it like gives you yeah. a feeling that you've got something that you're, you're starting somewhere. And you mentioned the cover and Christian earlier mentioned edges, you know, he, he's he's been successful focusing on edges um and i think that's true no matter if you're down you know in southern pennsylvania where it's more woodlots and things like that or um kirsten's out in eastern pa and and he's got some big woods and some you know some farmland um do you find that once you find once you identify that cover are you then hunting those edges where that cover meets I mean are you going traipsing right into the thick preferably I'd like to get into the
2: thick it just depends on knowing how that area is used for bedding like literally knowing where you know if you're if you're hunting buck bedding in cover like we a lot of us know that like bucks just don't randomly lay down in places they have their actual bed so I in the postseason I really try to learn those bedding areas very well that way I already know where the beds are. And one of my favorite tactics is getting in the bedroom, but like getting in between two beds because a buck will lay in one bed for maybe an hour or so, get up and feed and work his way to another. I found that the edges, I mean, they can be good, but those bucks are so stubborn, especially up here, that they do not like to leave that cover until after the sun goes down. So it seems like if you get in, your chances increase, you know, dramatically. But the right. another challenge so quickly on getting in there is a lot of these areas are so thick that it's so hard to sneak in there quietly with all that brush, you know, rubbing on you. So you have to, you have to play it out just right. Uh, a lot of times you just can't get in. You got to focus on the edges and hope that, you know, something will exit early one evening, but uh, there's no, uh, if someone thinks there's like a surefire guaranteed tactic to go out there in three days on public land and kill a buck, like a mature buck, I'm telling you, it's like uh it's like a one out of every 50 hunts that it happens. It's, it's a very challenging situation.
1: So, well, along those lines, I'm jumping in, John, step aside. Go. I got a question. <laughs> um, because I kind you know, because we've been going for a while now. I and mean, we're coming up on an hour and ten minutes, and I haven't even heard about the actual hunting. I might want to book a hunt with this guy, John, and I want to know couple things. Okay, because he's been running 170 cameras all summer. He's got a million mock scrapes out there. He's probably got 317 tree stands or at least spots for stands that he knows about. And I want to know when he's like, all right, Christian, I've been doing all this work. Now we're sending you to the stand is it going to be a five mile walk to my stand? And when I get there, are you going to say now, look, you're not going to see a lot of deer. You might be lucky to see one deer if you sit there for three days, but it's probably going to be that buck that we're after. And if he comes within 50 yards, you better get him killed because you ain't going to see him again. Or, or is it actually a lot better than that?
2: Yeah. It uh, it's more of, you know, you're not going to probably see as many deer here as what you might see in private land farm ground or other places in the country like the midwest it's more of a mind game out here uh you you have to be very like patient strong-minded you can't get frustrated even the terrain will beat up on your mind because a lot of you just get beat up in every direction like uh big hikes just steep mountains it's not it's not an easy uh not saying deer hunting's easy but This is probably at the higher class of, of the challenge than the other places in the country. Uh, you're, I mean, there's times you'll, you just, you'll hit it just right. And you might see five or six bucks on a sit or like last year we had a guy, uh, he came in late October and it was really just the weather. We had a real warm October, but he came for a week and never saw a deer for a whole week. And I was like, we'll never see that guy again. You know, I felt bad, but it was just a slow time. Then he came, I, he just randomly called. He's like, because I mean, I, I post a lot on social media, posting pictures. And I think that just like draws people in or they know that, that I have what what they want. So he came back in like a uh, second week in November, sat 20 minutes and killed the biggest fuck of his life on the first six. So, like, he literally the guy comes for a week, sees nothing, and then he hits it just right. Like, it's very unpredictable here. Uh, You just got to know, I mean, we touched on a little bit earlier. We know that the deer here, we know we have big deer. We have a lot of history with these deer, and it's just all about putting the time in and hunting hard, and you just really don't know what to expect. Yeah,
1: it's a credit to that guy for
2: coming back
1: because most people, like you say, if I came and hunted with you for a week and didn't see a deer, I'm probably not calling you two weeks later asking <laughs> if I can come back. But yeah. on the flip side, John and I just returned from Montana and we know all about quote unquote catching it just right because we had, you know, six days of elk hunting and never had a shot opportunity We had to leave because the outfitter had another group of clients coming in, and on the very first day, with the new group of clients, they shot two elk. So, you know, were those guys? No, I don't know who they are. Maybe they really are way better elk hunters than John or I, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, no, I'm going to say that that switch that we were waiting our whole hunt to flip. Every day we got up and we're like, maybe the rut is going to turn on today. Maybe today, maybe today. Well, guess what? It turned on right after we left. Your guy who came back, that that activity turned on and he was there just like you said it's all about time it doesn't you know it's funny i came home and i was talking to my wife about our hunt and i said you know it does you no good to be out there 30 days in a row on the wrong 30 days if you're not going to be there for the five good days you know and so you just
2: have to keep going Yep. and like i touched on the weather like when that guy was here like We were talking like late October, most days for 60s, 70s, mornings were high 40s, 50s. Like it just, you could just tell it just didn't feel right out there. And you can go anywhere in the country, the most prime places, but if the conditions don't line up right for you, you're going to have a difficult hunt. I'm not saying you can't have success, but it definitely uh, has an impact on your chances. And you just got to hope, you know, when you're not even just, uh, traveling hunting but at home whatever like if you're able to focus and uh focus your efforts on like better conditions perfect times uh you're gonna have way more success doing it that way than you know hunting some of those less premier days like you said those don't miss those cold fronts right absolutely yeah we that's that's what's so crazy about you know you might want to have me back sometime and I can go over you know some of my studies like it's just amazing when you start documenting weather, how much it has an impact on deer movement and like i i feel bad but like you know going into the guiding season i can look ahead and already kind of predict how a guy's hunt's going to be just looking at the weather like if i see you know all those warm temps and not much of a especially another huge factor is when you just have stagnant weather uh know especially if it just stays warm day after day you're not getting rain just that real dry calm weather like i i feel bad but i i don't have the uh usually the 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 flexibility to tell them you know you can come another time because i got a whole nother group coming the next week but i it's like man i feel bad you're you're probably not going to have the most fun hunt here but i can't control the weather so
1: yeah do you actually tell them that you'd be like hey man welcome you know here's your room gonna have some good food your hunt's probably gonna suck i
2: mean i do try to let people i know hey. <laughs> no, that is actually a good point i try to let them know what i think and what to expect coming into it uh especially when it's not looking good because i certainly don't want to tell someone the opposite and say man you hit it just right and your first sit just going to be unbelievable. I'd rather let him know the truth and what to expect than uh, play with his mind and then him not, not seeing what, uh, what I told him he was going to see. So uh, it's just, like I said, it's just part of hunting. Uh, The weather is is definitely one of your, uh, it can be your best friend or your biggest enemy. That's for sure. Well, Um, I'll
1: tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll give it back to you in a second, John, but I find it interesting. You got Bill Winky out in Iowa you know, Bill's one of our field editors, has been writing for us forever in, like, the classic, picture-perfect, greatest deer hunting you can find anywhere. And then you got Steve on public land in Pennsylvania where you got to fight and scratch and claw for every opportunity. And they're both saying the same exact thing because Bill Winkie is Mr. October Cold Front, and he lives and dies by that. And so it just goes to show it doesn't matter where you're hunting whitetails. You hunt those cold fronts and like Steve said, you find an excuse to have the flu that day and get out of <laughs> the tree because you know you can catch up on your work on a hot day uh, or you know, or a rainy day or a 40 mile an hour wind day, but you need to be out there on that cold front day and maybe the day after, because that's that's when those deer are going to be on the
2: move. Yep. I uh I always tell people that. The only way uh, you're not going to catch me out there on a cold front is during my own funeral. So that's about the truth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my own funeral. I like it. (laughs) Well, Christian, I think that, you know, maybe uh, in the future we could get Steve back to really get into some depth on those camera studies. But I think that, you know, anybody that's listening or watching and wants to do public land, I think there's a little bit more reality there um after talking to steve i know there is for me um i was really focusing on features steve and i'm going to start to go back to my areas and look for diversity and cover uh in cover and water and you know food and things like that and maybe uh just uh you know i might use those features where they intersect with that that exactly. you know that diversity but you know just going out and finding those features without anything else is probably would burn up a lot of time and and futility
2: yep and that's the thing like here in these mountains there's thousands and thousands of key terrain features so like you you're going to check a lot of these you know key saddles and benches and draws and but once you get in there it's like there's really nothing that attractive here for the deer like Maybe a few times for the, for, you know, during the rut, a buck just might get funneled through that area, but it's not going to hold deer consistently, and that's kind of what you want. Is you, you I mean, if you uh, you talk to anyone, like especially on private land that manages deer and habitat, like it's all about habitat, and it's and not you know not pressuring your deer. That's the same for public land. The better the habitat, the better uh, life you can give those deer, that's where they're going to be. So, uh, it's, uh, and it makes it, it makes it fun because you, it's more of it, like I said, it's more of a boots on the ground type of scouting. You, you you get to go in there and, uh, kind of figure it out and it just makes it a little more challenging and fun in my opinion.
0: Much more rewarding when you get that buck on the ground, no
2: doubt.
1: So, So, so Steve, um, you know, There's some people who are listening and they're like, I am that, you know, strong-willed, strong-minded guy. I want to take this public land challenge. How long are your hunts, you know, and honestly, you know, what do they cost? Uh, Because people are going to be curious, you know, what is it? If if I'm like, I want to go hunt with you, Steve, what's the deal?
2: Yep, Um, we do three and six day hunts uh, with meals and lodging. We don't do lunch just for the fact that we really don't believe in much of uh going back to camp for lunch, especially in the areas we hunt where you might have an hour walk in or seems, you know once you're out there, you're out there uh so you know we do breakfast and dinner, meals and lodging included uh we're in my opinion very reasonable a three day hunts eight seventy five and a six days fifteen hundred uh I will say you know, it's not, it's not even a selling pitch, but in this situation, really anywhere deer hunting, it's very difficult to have success in three days. Uh, I would totally spend the extra money and do a six day hunt, uh, versus a three day. It just seems like, you know, you don't even have time to get settled in here in three days and just kind of get used to the atmosphere. Um, but, uh, it, uh, you know, if you're someone that, you know, wants a little more of a challenge, uh, really wants to test your skills. Um, I'm not the kind of guy that, uh, holds your hand and it's going to make every decision for you. Uh, a lot of our hunts are just, we just give you waypoints, And, uh, when you come back at the end of the day, we're, you know, every next hunt is based on what you saw that day. So uh, we are, we probably cater better to a do it yourself mindset versus a amateur that, Needs helped in every way, so uh, it's definitely uh, it's going to be rewarding for for you because you're going to have you're going to have a lot of effect on your own success. So, um, uh, like I said, uh, I I'm in I may not be in the most premier state, but uh, we we definitely have have deer here that are probably as good as a lot of other places in the country, and uh, I've had a lot of happy clients over the years.
1: Well, and for your prices are very reasonable if you look at what a Midwest guided whitetail hunt costs. So honestly, you know, you talk about don't do the three, don't do the, you know, do the six. And I'm calculating it out. I'm like, wait, for the price of one, like Missouri deer hunt. I could actually do the 18 day hunt with Steve, you know, and then I figure in 18 days, I'm either going to be like desperately wanting to go home or I'm going to fill my tag
2: in either way, you know, it's, I'm ready to head out. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, and here's the thing. If you, if you calculate a three day versus a six day, I'm actually making more of a profit percentage on a three day than the six day. So, as a business standpoint, I'd probably be better off doing all three days, but it's not it's not all about the money for me. Uh, it's about you know quality and having success and
0: I'm just giving my honest opinion you're you're much better off doing a six day than a three day and and just being an outfitter and getting to meet all those people and having that camp atmosphere and just you know, that's, that's got to be awesome. Absolutely. And,
2: and I mean, obviously i I know a lot of our clients, uh, can say that, but for me, like I've met people all over the country. I've heard so many amazing deer stories from crazy <laughs> things to successful hunts. Like I, I have had so much joy out of this in, in so many ways other than just, you know, putting people in good spots. It's just, it's been a, and even situations like this, like, if I, if I wasn't in this, you know, in this industry, I probably would never be chatting with guys like you. So it's just been a really cool thing. And uh, it's been a, it's been a huge blessing and I'm extremely thankful for it.
0: Very good.
1: So, so Steve, if people want to get a hold of you or, you know, connect with you, where can they find you? Are you on, you know, social media platforms? And again, it's Shirk's Guide Service. Is that what people should search up? Maybe you have a website or whatever. Yep.
2: Um, I'll just, let's just get right to the point to, uh, if anyone's listening, don't take it the wrong way, but I am fully booked this year. Like, I don't know why, honestly, I, I get so many people like wanting to book a hunt, like probably on average, I get about 10 calls a day and I can't even keep up with, uh, calling all these people. That's just calls. I get emails and messages on social media. So, um. I'm already fully booked for this year. Uh I definitely want to hear from you eventually um and but that please wait till like, you know, after hunting season. Uh we'll start booking hunts for 2023 around the new year. So please contact me then. Um it's just going to be social media as far as where um you can contact me. Uh it's uh Shirks Guide Service on Facebook or Instagram. Um and uh, like I said, we We usually have a pretty good return rate, but I'm always able to take you know a few new hunters here and there. So you don't also don't want to wait too long. Like, I think last year I was pretty much fully booked within like three weeks. So uh, get a hold of me right around the first of the year, and usually I can I can get someone
0: in if they they hit me at the right time. And shirt is with an e, not an i, right? Because I know a lot of shirts are with an i.
2: Yep, and on on Facebook it's shirk apostrophe s on instagram it's all three words together shirk's guide service no apostrophe i do have a website but i'm actually going to take it down because honestly i just can't keep up with uh, the amount of emails and the phone calls i get And a lot of people also are like public land hunters that are just asking me like for tips and stuff like that like i love all that stuff but it's gotten, it's actually gotten out of hand. I'm not complaining, but I gotta,
0: I gotta start cutting back on, on some of this. You know, know, the last guy that called him about stuff like that person was me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a, it's a 26 hour a day job and there's only 24 hours. So he's going to have to, something's got to give. Well, listen, man, I tell you what, Steve, I mean, it was a great conversation and I agree with, you know, both of you guys, we got to get Steve back on because there's a couple more episodes here, like a whole episode just talking about his trail cameras and his yeah. and his surveys. And then he could probably do a whole nother episode just talking about some of the actual, you know, bucks that he's hunted in these Pennsylvania mountains. That would be cool to hear specific, cool. specific stories about some of the good deer that both he and his clients have killed over the years. And, uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of heartened by the fact that here's a guy, here's a guy outfitting on public land in Pennsylvania and people know that they're not coming in to shoot 160, 180 inch bucks. People know that they're coming in to shoot maybe 120, 130 inch deer and they're going to be thrilled with that and they're gladly coming here and plunking down their money and going and doing the long hikes and the all day sits and he's booking out and, and literally selling out like a year in advance. This guy is awesome, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, honestly, I just think it's cause, uh, I'm kind of a, a league in my own right now. There's not, there's not a lot of these kind of hunts available. And I think a lot of people just want to be challenged and they want something a little bit different. And, uh, it's like i said as of right now it's it's really been working out so that's all.
1: well you know if it keeps on working out john and i may start our old our own operation to compete with you i already know what we're going to call it john it's going to be hard-ass hunting and it's going to be it's going to be if you want to work hard and and have a big reward when you succeed you know you come hunt with us and uh Anyway, we won't really do that to you, Steve. We're going to let you have the corner on it. Steve Shark's Guide Service is a category of one. It's a one of a kind. You know, that's the marketing for you, Steve. It's a one of a kind public land bow hunting experience in the wilds of Pennsylvania. So, all right. Well, listen, man, thanks so much for having us, John. Thanks for the idea. Thanks for saving us. So we had an episode for this week. I didn't want to disappoint all the kids at home and not have a bow hunting podcast for this week.
0: Well, and it turned out, in my opinion, to be a great one. So I appreciate it, Steve.
2: Well, thanks a lot for having me, guys. I'm a huge fan, and uh, I definitely hope to
0: get back with you. I'd love to chat again. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast, all bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on your local newsstand, or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.